The Tom Woods Show, episode 1064. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, one of my favorite libertarian podcasts out there is Lions of Liberty, hosted by the great Mark Clare. There really is no other libertarian podcast quite like it. I've been a guest twice. Check it out at lionsofliberty.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. All right, we've got today a kind of a, not a debate about cryptocurrency, but it's kind of a debate within Bitcoin that has been going on for a little while and has generated quite a bit of heat and interest. And I think it's safe to say that probably Bitcoin has never attracted more attention and commentary than it is attracting right now. So this seemed like an opportune moment to have this particular conversation. And in particular, so in other words, if you're interested in what is Bitcoin and how does it work and what's the infrastructure of it, I have other episodes on that that'll be linked on the show notes page for today, which is tomwoods.com slash 1064. This gets a bit more into the weeds but I have so many people demanding this that I thought, you know, what am I here for if not to do the people's will? So in particular, I have two people with us today who are going to talk about Bitcoin Cash, abbreviated BCH, and Bitcoin, abbreviated BTC, and talk about the different visions of Bitcoin that both represent and where both are going and the relative merits of each one. So our two discussants today are Roger Veer, who is CEO of Bitcoin.com, and Jameson Lopp, who is infrastructure team lead at BitGo. So I'm going to let each of them, I'm going to be a little less formal than we normally are in these debates. We don't even have an official resolution. I'm just going to have a conversation. But at the beginning of this conversation, I'm going to let each one of them speak for five-ish minutes about this issue. And then I'm going to moderate a series of questions that they ask each other. And we expect this to generate quite a bit of light. So let's start with, uh, since he's never been on the show before, Jameson, let's start with you. I'll give you the floor for about five minutes. All right. Sure. Thanks, Tom. So I think, you know, what we're really here to talk about is differing visions for how to scale Bitcoin and how to get it to the, the level that the technology is really capable of supporting mainstream adoption. And for the past several years, that's really come down to what everyone has called the block size debate, because it is one of the, the main parameters that affects like how many transactions can go into a block, which is created approximately every 10 minutes. And so what we've really seen happen over the past few years is this schism between uh, groups of people who want to increase the block size in order to alleviate a lot of the, the load and the stress on the network right now because the demand for block space is exceeding what is available with one megabyte every 10 minutes. Um, on the other hand, we have people who want to take a more efficient and yet more complex and and uh, more effort required approach of scaling, which is to create off-chain scaling solutions. Now, I'm in an inter interesting position here because I've been on both sides of the debate. In fact, I was a big Bitcoin XT proponent several years ago. And then I actually started working at BitGo full time and started spending a lot of my time and resources managing nodes, building infrastructure around nodes. And I began to realize how incredibly inefficient these blockchain databases are. 
And so I'm looking at this from a very, very long term, like multi-generational standpoint of, you know, how much data do we really want to put into these blockchains if we're trying to create a system that will outlast us all and hopefully eventually become, you know, mainstream global uh, commerce system and store of value. So I think that over the long term, Bitcoin will need larger blocks. But those of us who are more conservative want to try as many other available options to increase the capacity and use the block space that we have more efficiently before we simply allow our nodes to accept a greater load with larger blocks. The interesting thing about Bitcoin's transaction capacity is that at the moment, it's only running at about half of its uh, potential capacity. If you look at the stats, only about 10% of transactions are currently spending uh, segregated witness outputs. And if the rest of the ecosystem would catch up with BitGo and a few other providers and adopt this new technology, then capacity would actually double and fees would drop at least for the short term, which would be some nice alleviation. Now, that is not a uh, you know, panacea. Really what that's doing is that's getting us to the next step to eventually be able to support lightning networks, second uh, layer networks, which are going to afford us much greater, more efficient scalability. And this off-chain scaling plan is being pursued by a plethora of engineering teams in this space. In fact, it's a tried and true method for building efficient permissionless networks. It is, in fact, analogous to how the internet itself is designed. Because you see, if you look at the seven layers that compose the internet itself, the lowest layer is called Ethernet, which is this broadcast to all data transmission layer. If that was the only layer that composed the, ether the internet, then we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing right now, which is streaming audio across the world. Because if we only had Ethernet, every other participant on the internet would have to receive and relay all of the data from everybody else, which just doesn't scale at all. The only reason why we can make use of these high bandwidth applications is due to something called TCP IP, which are routing layers that allow you to send data through the fewest intermediaries necessary in order to get it to the intended recipient on the other side of the world. Now, I know that Roger and a lot of Bitcoin Cash supporters are more focused on the economic aspects of the network. They're willing to make some trade-offs of you know, higher cost of full node operation in order to achieve lower transaction fees, which is a big problem on the network right now and is frustrating a lot of people. On the other hand, many of us like myself are not willing to make this trade-off for Bitcoin because we believe that targeting low on-chain transaction fees can easily become a slippery slope to centralization of full nodes and other aspects of the network. And if a permissionless network of nodes gets to the point that only large enterprises can afford to run them, then it, it's interesting because it essentially creates an opportunity for those entities to govern the protocol. And this means that such a network could eventually find itself in the position where there's insufficient revenue from transaction fees to sustain the hash rate and the enterprises that are governing the protocol may then decide that inflation of the monetary supply is required in order to sustain the system. And they could even do this without telling the users, because if the users can't afford to validate the rules to which they agree, then they're blindly following what the nodes on the network are telling them is correct. And some of these rules, such as total supply, cannot be validated by lightweight clients using SPV proofs. So... My main point is that the Bitcoin protocol is analogous to Ethernet. It's this global broadcast system of data propagation. And second layer networks such as Lightning are analogous to TCP IP and they allow parties to communicate much more efficiently by only routing the data through a few network participants rather than everybody. So Bitcoin Cash proponents 
in my opinion, are welcome to try to naively scale a flood fill network, but my money is on a more efficient, albeit more complex, engineering solution. And these second layer networks will be much faster than the on-chain networks and will eventually end up actually having lower fees because they won't be in the situation of having a high competition over scarce resources and scarce block space. So I'm very interested to see what happens with the Bitcoin Cash project. I'm just not really willing to support that vision myself. All right. Well, thank you, Jameson. Roger, the floor is yours. Yeah, thank you, Jameson. So um, I guess I took a couple of notes during your your little talk there. And uh, one of the things that I heard you mention is that uh, you want to take the conservative approach, which is not scaling the, the Bitcoin blockchain. And I'd like to point out that uh, the approach that Bitcoin Core is taking is the most reckless, dangerous approach you possibly could. Bitcoin is the first and only cryptocurrency ever in the entire history of cryptocurrencies to have full blocks and to have high fees. So we're taking this Bitcoin experiment that's the number one cryptocurrency used by more businesses and more people around the world than any other cryptocurrency, and we're going to try something brand new uh, with it. And we have this you know, empirical evidence of Bitcoin for the first seven or eight years of its existence. The blocks were never full. The fees were low. The transactions were always included in the very next block, and that provided for a fantastic user experience that allowed Bitcoin to grow from being this little tiny you know, niche thing to this worldwide phenomenon that it is today. So if we wanted to follow the conservative path, we would just allow Bitcoin to scale in the exact same way it scaled from its beginning up until very recently. Uh, another thing I'd like to point out that uh, you were basically advocating for central planning. You're saying that a bunch of developers get to decide what the correct amount of block space to be produced is. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't think you or I or anybody else knows what the correct amount of block space to produce is. I think the amount of block space being produced should be decided by the people that produce the block space, which are the miners, and the people that want to include their transactions in the space, which are the Bitcoin users. So if uh, the Bitcoin users are willing to pay an amount of money that the miners are willing to include that transaction in a block, that should be what determines the, the correct amount of block space to be produced, not a bunch of uh, central planning uh, uh, guys without any business background or, or econ background uh, at all, which is exactly what's, uh, what's going on. And even if they had a bunch of business and econ background, they still wouldn't want to be planning, essentially planning the, the amount of block space to be produced. Uh, in regards to layer two uh, solutions, Bitcoin Cash will be able to support all of those even more reliably and even better than Bitcoin Core will be able to. Because when you have full blocks, that makes the on-chain transactions that are required to, to settle up the layer two stuff, it makes those, uh, those transactions unreliable. And it makes it possible to have for all sorts of bad things to happen. So... Uh, Layer two is going to work even better on Bitcoin Cash than it will on Bitcoin Core. Um, the part that I think most people don't realize is, uh, or, or don't seem to care or pay enough attention to, is that Bitcoin's market share, it used to basically be 100%. It used to have you know 99 point something percent of the crypto coin market share. And it wasn't until the blocks became full and the fees became high, and that caused the transactions to be unreliable. So then we have Bitcoin Core essentially becoming slow, expensive to use, and unreliable, and 1,001 other altcoins that are still fast, cheap, and reliable, well, guess what? When you have two options, or in economics, it's called substitute goods theory. When you have one good that's fast, cheap, and reliable, and another one that's slow, expensive, and unreliable, people are going to start using the fast, cheap, and reliable one. And that's exactly what's been happening to Bitcoin Core. And that's why you've seen its market share drop from basically 100% to less than 50% uh, today. And uh, my prediction is that in the next year, in 2018, uh, Bitcoin Core will no longer be the, the top cryptocurrency in the world. The average fee is more than $30 for a single transaction. That means for Bitcoin Core to even be competitive with credit cards, 
it's only competitive for transactions that are more than about $2,000 each. So uh, Bitcoin Core can't even compete with credit cards at this point, whereas Bitcoin Cash, the transactions are less than a penny. They're always confirmed in the next block. Uh, Bitcoin Cash very, very clearly is the, the original version of Bitcoin that was described in the Bitcoin white paper and behaves the same way Bitcoin did until the Bitcoin Core team managed to completely veer Bitcoin Core off of the original roadmap that was laid out by uh, Bitcoin.org and, and the original Bitcoin white paper written by Satoshi Nakamoto. So uh, I guess one last point I'll touch on is that you're worried about the centralization of nodes. If the blocks become too big and it requires a more expensive piece of hardware, well, it's not the full nodes that include your transactions in a block. It's the miners. Only the people who are doing Bitcoin mining actually include transactions in a block. And these mining machines cost over $1,000 each. And these miners are buying you know, thousands or even tens of thousands of these machines at a time. So they're spending millions or tens of millions of dollars at a time buying this mining equipment. Uh, even for the price of one of these mining machines, one S9 from Bitmain, you can already uh, buy a computer that can easily run and validate the uh, you know, 100 megabyte blocks uh, right now for the cost of just one. Uh, one of these mining machines that Bitmain is selling. So uh, I don't think it's a, a realistic worry. So I guess to to close up, I feel that the Bitcoin core team are worried about all sorts of things that might maybe possibly somehow, some way, maybe become a problem far into the future. And they're optimizing against those things that might possibly become a problem way into the future. And in doing so, causing uh, the current Bitcoin network to basically be unusable for any business or, or individual who wants to use it in commerce. And that's why we've seen all these businesses that used to be strictly Bitcoin only uh, in busy integrating all sorts of altcoins like uh, like Bitcoin Cash. So we've seen that happen with, with Coinbase. We've seen that happen with BitPay. We've seen that happen with blockchain.info. Uh, and we've seen that happen with Bitcoin.com. All of those businesses used to be strictly Bitcoin only until the core team sufficiently uh, deviated Bitcoin core from the original roadmap and basically turned it on its head. They took a network that used to be fast, cheap, and reliable, and have intentionally made it slow, expensive to use, and unreliable. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out which version of those, uh, which of those two versions of Bitcoin is going to be the more successful one in the world. All right. I think I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to take a couple of minutes to respond to each other. So, Jameson, if you want to respond to that, uh, go right ahead. I'll give Roger uh, the same opportunity. And then we want to jump into questions. In fact, I actually did develop a question that I think I want to ask before you guys ask any. But anyway, you have the floor, Jameson. Yeah, no, uh, Roger brings up a lot of good points, um, especially re regarding you know, the frustration and unreliability for for commerce transactions, you know, especially retail level stuff. So, you know, from from the standpoint, though, of like who controls the block space or is there centralized planning happening or is Bitcoin core in control of the Bitcoin protocol? I think that that's a result of a lot of frustration of people wanting to have somebody to blame. But in fact, there are over a half a dozen different Bitcoin protocol implementations. It just so happens that Bitcoin core happens to be the, the one with the largest group of people who are contributing to it. And it's very interesting to see how angry people get about Bitcoin Core in speci uh, specific because this is an open like group collaboration project. So anyone who has the expertise and wants to contribute their time is welcome to join Bitcoin Core, start uh, you know making reviews and pull requests and participating in the process. And and people who don't like Bitcoin Core and their process are are free to you know create their own software and put it out there on the market. And there have been a number of different teams who have done that as well. But 
at the question of like who controls the protocol and the rules and the size of the blocks, this is another one of the big uh, disconnects between the different sides of the scalability debate. So you have one side who believes it's very important for uh, full node operators to be able to run a fully validating node at a low cost. And then on the other side, you have people who believe it's very important that transaction fees for on-chain transactions are very low cost uh, in order to con continue to drive adoption for these like retail-level transactions. And these are trade-offs that can't really... Uh, you have to choose one or the other because low transaction fees are going to continue driving more demand and, and raising the cost to actually run a full node. So it's interesting to talk about like the unreliability of the Bitcoin network at the moment. It is in many senses unreliable because it is so successful. You know, it's almost a, an issue of uh, we don't go there anymore. It's too crowded type of uh, situation. But it is true that high fees are... I think at all-time high fees right now for transactions on the Bitcoin network. This is because there's a ton of demand and people are willing to pay a premium for it. Some people aren't, but apparently a lot of people are because that's why they're so high. And in fact, transaction fees are on track to make Bitcoin's computational security actually sustainable. Because Bitcoin is deflationary, the subsidy that is provided by each block to miners is going to continue to dwindle until there's none left to pay them. And at that point, miners will either have to work for free or there will need to be sufficient transaction fees for them to collect. So last I checked, Bitcoin is already about 40 to 50% of the way of being sustainable in this regard. And there are thousands of cryptocurrencies out there that have extremely low fees, not just Bitcoin Cash. This is because almost nobody uses them and there's no demand for them. And it's unclear at this moment if these cryptocurrencies will withstand the test of time. I expect that many of them are actually going to fade into obscurity. And it's worth noting that fees are related to a user's time preference. So users with low priority transactions who are willing to wait for a period of low demand are actually able to get by by paying lower fees. And the estimates that we provide at BitGo will go all the way out to a one-week confirmation target. So while some people say that Lightning Network may quote-unquote steal fees from miners, I actually expect that these second-layer networks are going to enable new use cases that add more utility and value to Bitcoin, which will result in even more demand for block space because they need to open and close these payment channels. And if you consider that a payment channel will enable a user to perform many transactions off-chain, those fee savings are going to be reflected by users that are willing to pay even higher on-chain fees because they're netting an overall fee savings. So users who are opening payment channels, they're also going to have a pretty low time preference for their confirmation because they don't need to pay those high fees to get very fast uh, block confirmations. So... I know that Roger's been in Bitcoin for a very long time. He often reminisces you know, about what the good old days used to be like when fees were optional and old UTXOs got prioritized by miners regardless of the fees they paid. But the terrible truth, from my perspective, is that all blockchains are terrible at scaling. They're highly inefficient databases. And the only public permissionless networks you're going to see that have low fees are going to have that because they have low usage, low security, and thus lower utility and value. 
Almost nobody other than the miners themselves likes having high transaction fees, but allowing a fee market to form when demand for block space surges incentivizes users to be more efficient about their use of block space. So as a result, the higher value use cases get prioritized, and unfortunately, the low value use cases may suffer. And this is what Roger and a lot of the Bitcoin Cash supporters are upset about. And I've been monitoring the Bitcoin transactions versus the Bitcoin Cash transactions. And over the past week, the average Bitcoin Cash transaction has been over three kilobytes in size, which is more than five times larger than the average Bitcoin transaction. It's very interesting for me to observe. I expect that this trend may continue if the adoption of Bitcoin Cash continues to increase because users are going to have very little incentive to be good stewards of the shared resources. And I fear that it may fall victim to a tragedy of the commons type situation, but I'm incredibly fascinated to see how it all plays out. All right, Roger, the floor is yours once again. Yes, yeah, so I guess one of the, you know, I, again, I took a couple of notes there. So one of the comments that Jameson made is that uh, the Bitcoin core team is, is this open community that anybody can participate in. Uh, I'd like to point out, you know, what happened to Gavin, what happened to Jeff Garzik there. So Gavin Andreessen, for those that don't know, was the person that Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin, uh, essentially turned over the reins of the project to. Gavin was gracious enough to share access to a number of repositories with other people. And then when Gavin came out and said that he thought that Craig Wright was Satoshi, uh, people under the guise of claiming that they thought his account had been hacked, revoked his access from these repositories, and then never gave it back to him when it turned out that his account hadn't been hacked. And then they also removed Jeff Garzik's uh, access as well at the same time without giving any excuse at all. Uh, whereas in reality, the reason that their access was revoked is because simply they had different opinions uh, from the current core development team. So they literally had their access revoked. That's certainly not... Uh, a free and open thing for anybody to participate in. Uh, and then we should also point out about the incredible amount of censorship that's been going on on the main discussion platforms for Bitcoin. So both on BitcoinTalk.org and our Bitcoin. Our Bitcoin is probably the number one uh, discussion platform for, for Bitcoin worldwide up until maybe a week ago when the, the mainstream media started going really crazy reporting on Bitcoin. But you have at any one moment, you have more than 10,000 users reading about Bitcoin over there. And you're literally not allowed to post anything that's in opposition to Bitcoin Core's roadmap, or your post will literally be deleted. I, I implore anybody out there to go and Google uh, Bitcoin censorship. And there's a number of fantastic articles uh, there by a guy going by the name of John Block, outlying uh, or laying out the, the censorship that's been going on. And it's just jaw-dropping jaw if you take the time to read it. Not only are they deleting posts, but they're modifying posts and deleting things selectively to make it look like people have the exact opposite opinion of what they actually do have. So that's not uh, that's not in line with a free and open uh, community. And I understand that uh, not all Bitcoin core developers are engaged in that, but for the most part, uh, a lot of them have been openly supportive of it. And the ones that have spoken out against it basically something say something along the lines of, yeah, I kind of wish that they wouldn't do that. And then lots of other ones claim that they don't see any evidence of this censorship at all, which is just absolute madness. Uh, and Jameson is right. I, I do like to reminisce about the old days of Bitcoin when it worked really, really well. Uh, transactions oftentimes were free. It worked incredibly well for commerce. Uh, and you had this thing that was called you know, zero confirmation transactions, where basically most transactions, even before they've been included in a block, were good enough for merchants to accept them without them having been included in a block yet. And I understand, I think everybody understands that a transaction that's included in a block is more reliable than one that hasn't. But the current Bitcoin core development team uh, they've openly made zero confirmation transactions less reliable and less useful uh, to the point where people can't really uh, use them in commerce at this point anymore. And it's a real, real big uh, shame. And for anybody that's actually trying to use Bitcoin in commerce, you realize that the, the Bitcoin core dev team 
aren't interested. They're openly hostile to people using Bitcoin in commerce. And if you look at it, the entire reason Bitcoin is where it is today is because people started to use it in commerce. And it was only because people were using it in commerce that it even became usable as this uh, store value or so-called uh, digital gold that lots of the people on the core team think that it can be. So I, I guess I'd like to point out that for anything to be usable as a store value, it has to have some secondary use case. So it either has to be usable in commerce or, or in the case of a house, you can live in it. Or in the case of gold, it you know, has all sorts of, sorts of industrial uses or dental uses or, or all sorts of other things. Uh, if Bitcoin is morphed into something that doesn't have any use case other than a store of value, it won't be usable as a store of value. And I think that's a, a real big disconnect on both sides of this de debate. And uh, once again, the proof is in the pudding. As soon as Bitcoin's blocks became full and it started having a bad user experience, its market share went from over uh, nearly 100% to less than 50% per today. And uh, maybe someday Lightning uh, Network and Layer 2 stuff will solve all of these problems, but by that point, it's going to be way too late. Uh, imagine if a version of Facebook came out today that had way better features and everything was fantastic, but everybody was still on Facebook. Uh, it would be almost impossible to get people to, to switch, and that's happening to Bitcoin right now. We're watching people switching away from Bitcoin Core right now, and they're busy switching to Ethereum and Bitcoin Cash and, and Ripple and, and you know Dash and all sorts of other things out there. Um, because of the bad user experience that Bitcoin is providing uh, for users. If, if something's slow, expensive, and unreliable, and an alternative is offering them something that's fast, cheap, and reliable, people are going to switch to that thing that's, that offers a, a better better uh, user experience. And that's uh, exactly what happens. And as the very first person in the entire world to start investing in cryptocurrency startups, um, I'm calling it like Bitcoin Core is not going to be the top cryptocurrency in the world by the end of next year. That's a plain and simple truth because of the bad user experience that not by accident, but has intentionally been created by the Bitcoin Core development team. They openly say they want Bitcoin to have full blocks. And by having full blocks, it creates high fees and unreliable transactions. When things are expensive to use, slow and unreliable, people are going to use something else. And that's why uh, myself and my friends and all the businesses I do business with are busy switching to Bitcoin Cash. All right, let me ask uh, Jameson a question, then I'm going to ask one to Roger, and then I'll let you, you two go at it. Roger just repeated something I've heard him say before, which is that the Bitcoin core people, in some cases, have been implicitly or explicitly hostile to the idea of Bitcoin becoming accepted as a widespread medium of exchange, but rather thinking of it more now in terms of being a store of value. Now, is that really true, and is that your personal vision for Bitcoin? Well, I mean, that's okay. This is really difficult whenever you're saying like the Bitcoin core people. Uh, well, because first of all, Bitcoin core is one of several imp implementations. And even within Bitcoin core, there are so many different supporters who have so many different views. It's very, very tricky to just, you know, categorize any large group of people as being one specific thing or another. Okay, so let, all right, let, let me try and clarify then, because let's just say if I were to have read an article about Bitcoin five years ago, I would have encountered a lot of young enthusiasts whose view was this thing's going to take over the world. It's going to take on the central banks. It's going to bring the state down. And it's not going to do that by being a, a store of value. It's going to do that by being a medium of exchange. Is there a, a, a deliberate attempt to play down that aspect? That's my question. I mean, I think there there definitely is with regard to doing on-chain transactions for it. But if you start digging into all of the technical progress that is happening, there are, last I checked, like four or five different teams that are working on second-layer technologies that want to make 
Bitcoin as a medium of exchange be an even better experience than, say, your Visa, MasterCard type networks. It's just they've been working on this for several years now, and we're finally at the point where the technology is going to be ready sometime next year. I mean, people are already doing transactions on the main network. It's just in a beta phase at the moment. Um, Roger, let me ask you uh, something. I've heard, I think I've heard you, but I've certainly heard uh, some friends argue that as time has gone on over the past seven or eight years, people have gotten into Bitcoin who don't necessarily have libertarian ideology, you know, undergirding them. That a lot of times when you were learning about Bitcoin in the beginning, it was libertarians, everybody admits, were early adopters. They were early enthusiasts. But that wasn't necessarily going to stay the case. And I think there's been a kind of implication that as people have gotten into Bitcoin who have not had a libertarian commitment, that this was bound to push Bitcoin into down directions you haven't wanted to go. But at the same time, Jameson here seems like as good a libertarian as anybody. So can you sort out what the role of ideology in all this is? Um, well, there's, I guess, lots of different types of libertarians. So I, I came to be a libertarian from studying economics, and I certainly was not born a libertarian. Uh, my parents were not libertarians, but uh, I was fortunate enough just by chance to come across a Ludwig von Mises book when I was in junior high. Uh, called Socialism, and I thought it was a pro-socialism book when I picked it up. But by the time I was done reading it, I realized that uh, socialism, not only does it not work uh, in practice, it's impossible for it to even work in, in theory as well. So uh, I became a libertarian from studying the economics, and I got interested in Bitcoin because of the economic ramifications. And I was that first person that started trying to spread Bitcoin to the world, and I focused on libertarians, and I focused on libertarians that were part of the Free State Project in particular. So I reached out to everybody I could that was part of the Free State Project and tried to give them all Bitcoins and tried to all get them involved. And uh, I don't know exactly what, what Jameson's libertarian leanings are or political leanings are, but uh, I kind of actually felt like he avoided the question in regards to uh, the censorship uh, issue and people being complacent and whether or not Bitcoin should be a, uh, a medium of exchange or a store of value. And maybe we could ask... Uh, Jameson directly, like, what, what is his own opinion? If, if it's fine if he doesn't want to speak for others, but, it, you know, I'd like to ask Jameson, do you think Bitcoin should be a, a store of value or a medium of exchange? And what do you think about all the censorship that's been going on uh, in the Bitcoin ecosystem? Sure. Uh, so I believe that we should prioritize the store of value at the moment due to the technological limitations. But you know, ultimately, I think that everybody on both sides of the scalability debate has the same ultimate goal, which is get Bitcoin used by everybody across the world, uh, make it a mainstream technology that is easy and basically empowers people. That is really like my fundamental goal is you know even higher level than Bitcoin is to use my skills as a technologist to help empower individuals. And like with regard to the censorship stuff, I think it's 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 interesting. Like these moderation actions on various forums can be pretty annoying. I've gotten hit by them myself over the years. But and I wrote a long article about this, I think, earlier in the year. I don't believe that this is actual censorship that is stifling speech because there are plenty of alternative forums that you can use for discussion. In fact, I, I generally hate Reddit, uh, whatever subreddit you're talking about. I hate it. I, ha I think it has a lot of, of issues. And I myself am a big fan of Twitter because I get to choose what content I see and there are rarely inter in any interventions by Twitter administrators. It's kind of odd to me that Roger keeps complaining about the censorship when he's competing on the free market. 
He's offering, you know, quote unquote, uncensored forums. He has a quarter million Twitter followers, 120,000 subscribers on the BTC subreddit. Uh, Bitcoin.com is ranked something like number 2200 in the whole world in terms of transaction or traffic volume. So he's out there and his, his views are getting heard. Like, I don't think that there are that many people in this space who don't know about both sides of the debate because of censorship. I mean, information wants to be free, and pretty much everybody who spends time getting into this level of the, the debate is well aware of like the points on both sides. So basically, a summary of your position is that the censorship that's going on or the, the manipulation of, the, of the, the opinions of people being posted online, the manipulation and censorship is okay because there's other places that people can go to discuss it. Uh, in addition to the places where the censorship is happening? Is that an accurate summary of your, your position? Yeah, so there are multiple different forums that have their own styles of moderation. People get to choose which ones they interact on. It's it's pretty obvious like what the different moderation styles of these different forums are. I believe this is, you know, free market in action. And believe me, from like all of the vitriol and all of the shilling, it happens on both sides. Like there are definitely people who are doing dirty stuff on both sides. I don't condone any of that stuff. I generally try to mute and block as much of it as possible, but this is kind of the chaos that you get from a free market. All right, we've got a lively conversation going on here. We're going to continue it after we thank our sponsor. Folks, I want to offer you a recommendation for a podcast you're going to enjoy, and that is Lions of Liberty. It's got three weekly shows, each with different formats. And on Mondays, you'll get to hear from Mark Clare, whom I've interviewed with twice. In fact, you can check out Lions of Liberty by hearing my interviews with them, if that's a nice segue into their podcast, over at lionsofliberty.com woods. It is the only libertarian variety show out there. In-depth interviews with libertarian voices, current events with a comedic twist, and a hard look at criminal justice issues. They've done over 400 episodes. They've had Ron Paul on twice. And in fact, their entire guest list is tremendous. Mark Clare is a genial guy, but he's also fearless. And he doesn't care where the conversation goes. So check out Lions of Liberty. You will not be disappointed. It carries the Tom Woods seal of approval. Check him out at lionsofliberty.com. All right, I actually want to give Jameson an opportunity to ask Roger a question, just because I have to kind of be in charge here to make sure there's equal time. So, Jameson, ask Roger anything you like. Sure. So, I mean, I think one of the main differences between our our viewpoints on the scaling debate is kind of like uh, short-term versus long-term viewpoints. So, I'm I'm just interested to know, you know, how many users do you really think that you can get supporting, uh, you know, on-chain daily transactions? Like, is is there a block size that you believe is too large, or a cost of node operation that is too high, or you know, how are you going to deal with the adversarial situations? Um, I think this is one of, you know, when I say that like Bitcoin developers are conservative, I'm really saying that, you know, they're extremely adversarial thinkers and they're trying to be careful so that edge cases don't get into the system that can cause it to have problems. So like, how are you going to deal with being able to target extremely low on-chain transaction fees, but then not have some adversary come in and just fill up all of your block space for basically free? So uh, again, it's the miners that should decide what size blocks they want to produce. It's not for me to decide. It's for the, for the market to decide. I don't think that that, that uh, parameter should be centrally planned. Uh, so the people that are paying for transactions in the block space can decide how much they want to pay. 
and the people producing the block space can decide how much they want to produce uh, for the amount of money that people are willing to pay. So I, I don't know what the answer is there, and I don't think anybody knows what the answer uh, for that is, just as nobody knows what the correct price uh, for a cup of coffee is. It, it depends on the location. It depends on all sorts of different things. And uh, there's a fantastic essay that uh, I read when I was a young man called uh, I Pencil, I believe by Leonard Reed. And he makes the claim that there's not a single person alive in the entire world that knows how to make a pencil. And when you first hear that claim, you think, what a bunch of nonsense. A pencil is so simple. Of course, I know how to make it. But then he goes into all the details of what's actually required to make a pencil and the graphite that's mined out of the ground somewhere and trees that are cut down somewhere and the machinery that's used to, to process the trees and then how you make the paint and then the rubber uh, the piece of rubber on the end for an eraser. And by the time you get done reading the essay, you realize he's right. There's not a single human being alive on the planet that knows how to make a, a simple pencil that you go and buy at the store. So I think it's the same way with, with block space. We don't know what the right amount of block space to produce. We don't know what the right things that should be included in that block space is. At the end of the day, it's the people producing the block space and the people paying to have their stuff put into the block space that need to decide uh, what the correct amount is and what the correct price for that block space is. So I don't know what it is, um, but I can tell you uh, by the fact that we have, that we can see Bitcoin losing market share and losing market share quickly that the $30 per transaction that Bitcoin costs right now for 250 kilobytes, I'm sorry, 250 bytes of, uh, of data, that's way, way, way too high. And that's why we're seeing people go to go to other things. So. Okay. So I think that makes sense. That's, you know, pretty much in line with uh, a lot of the perspectives that I hear, which is that, you know, these things should be decided by the miners uh, because they're basically operating the the market and con, con, really in control of the supply of block space. So I'm wondering, can you then abstract that a little bit more? And would you say that at the end of the day, who really gets to define the rules of the Bitcoin protocol? Is that still the miners again versus the rest of the, the regular users? Um, so I guess there isn't a real clear answer to that question. And that's why this fight has been going on for a couple of years. And that's one of Bitcoin's strengths, and I guess one of its weaknesses is there isn't one final arbiter of what should be decided and how things should be done. It's not only the developers, it's not only the miners, it's not only the merchants, it's uh, it's all of these things and none of these things. Uh, so I guess I don't have a clear answer for you other than uh, we're seeing the ecosystem migrating away from Bitcoin Core and migrating mainly to, to Bitcoin Cash and other altcoins. Uh, because up until very recently, the amount of block space produced was decided by the market. Uh, there was this one megabyte cap, but the amount of block space that people were willing to pay for was much, much less than one megabyte. So the blocks were never, ever a full megabyte. And during that time in which the market was deciding how much block space to be produced, Bitcoin grew from nothing into the worldwide phenomenon that it is today. And then once the amount of block space uh, being produced was no longer being determined by the market, uh, we're seeing Bitcoin lose market share to all these other altcoins. And all these other altcoins still have the amount of block space that they're producing being determined by the market. There's not another uh, altcoin in the entire world that has full blocks. It's only Bitcoin. And that's an incredibly uh, dangerous and reckless thing to do with Bitcoin. And we're seeing the results of that by Bitcoin losing its you know, first mover advantage and uh, near 100% market share down to less than 50%. So uh, I guess congratulations to the small blockers and the Bitcoin core development team. You guys have uh, successfully destroyed Bitcoin's first mover advantage. Let me ask you guys a question that would come from the average person reading the newspaper and, well, reading things online about Bitcoin and the news, because you get a lot of commentators saying Bitcoin is in a bubble. And one of the arguments they make, I find a lot of these people are not very informed about Bitcoin, but one of the arguments they make is that what's going to happen is people are going to get buyer's remorse. They're going to acquire some Bitcoin. They're going to realize it's not very usable. 
precisely because of some of the complaints that Roger has had. It's it doesn't give a very good user experience. So they're going to think, well, then what the heck am I doing in this? Just I'm buying it because I think it's just going to get it's going to go up and up and up. Forget it. And they're going to dump it for that reason. What is your response? Whether that's right or wrong, how do you respond to that kind of argument? We'll start with Jameson. Well, the usability argument. So, I mean, what's really changing as a result of the higher fees and greater demand on Bitcoin is that the the lower value use cases are getting priced out of it. And that's causing a lot of uh, friction and frustration. So, you know, if you have to pay 10 or $20 for a transaction, it no longer makes sense to do these retail payments of 10 20 even possibly $100. So, from what I'm observing right now is that the kind of the nature of the use cases of Bitcoin are changing at the moment to being more of an institutional and high net worth level of, uh, of people that are getting into it because they're willing to pay those higher fees. Now, one of the differences, I think, between uh, my perspective and Bitcoin Cash uh, kind of roadmap is that I believe that the second layer technologies are going to alleviate a lot of that problem. It's just going to be a patience game. Whereas uh, the the folks who are in more of a rush to try to fix this fee situation, they just want to you know, raise the block size and get Bitcoin back to operating the way that it was before. So if I could reply to that. Yeah, please do. A little bit. So um, I, I, ha- I think Jameson actually kind of summarized the position pretty darn well. And uh, in regards to these layer two things, um, the Bitcoin core team, they're really confident in these layer two technologies that they've claimed are going to be coming in about 18 months from now. They've been claiming that for years. And from my point of view, they've intentionally broken the version of Bitcoin that we know and have you know, years and years, almost, you know, almost a decade of empirical evidence showing that it worked and worked incredibly well. And they've intentionally broken and damaged that in the hopes of creating these layer two technologies that don't exist yet, haven't been uh, proven in commerce. They, there's not a single place online where you can buy anything with a a layer two technology payment system built on top of Bitcoin or anything else for that matter, as far as I'm aware. Um, so I think the, the, the conservative approach would be if you have something that's working and working incredibly well, don't break it yet. Uh, that's the exact approach that core has taken. They've broken something that was working incredibly well in the hopes of creating layer two technologies that I hope work really well as well. But, and, and I hope that flying cars come and replace my Tesla but I'm not going to go and, and destroy my Tesla today because I think that flying cars are going to come next year. Um, I'll wait till the flying cars are already here and working well and working safely before I get rid of my Tesla. And unfortunately, Bitcoin Core has taken the exact uh, opposite approach. They've destroyed the thing that was working well because they hope that this other thing is going to come in the future and replace it. And that just uh, is incredibly frustrating and, and reckless for me. And I guess one other point, too, it's worth pointing out that uh, not only transactions of tens of dollars, uh, also hundreds of dollars. And even thousands of dollar size uh, transactions have been priced out of the Bitcoin network. Just the other week, I sent $20,000 worth of Bitcoin from my wallet to a Bitcoin exchange to buy uh, more Bitcoin cash. So I sent Bitcoin Core to an exchange to buy Bitcoin cash. To send the $20,000 worth of Bitcoin Core, it cost me $1,000 in fees. Uh, It cost literally 5% of the transaction. Uh, That's way more than credit cards. That's way more than a bank. Why the heck would I uh, ever want to use that sort of thing? And, and the $20,000 were all funds that I received uh, for people to pay for advertising on, on uh, Bitcoin.com. Uh, well, guess what? Now we're only accepting Bitcoin Cash for advertising payments. And if I receive the same $20,000 from a bunch of different advertisers for advertising, and if I want to move it to an exchange to exchange for something else, it'll cost me pennies rather than $1,000 to do so. And so even big institutions are going to be switching to Bitcoin Cash uh, because it provides a better experience for both small value payments and large value payments. 
All right. I want to give uh, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to ask each other one final question and then you can each sum up your position. So, uh, Jameis, I'm going to turn to you to ask uh, Roger a final question. Sure. So in terms of of like and this kind of goes back to one of the other questions, like with regard to like what is the definition of Bitcoin? Are you in favor or against like the idea of people being able to run fully validating nodes? Because that does seem to be one of the the main differences here in in deciding like whether or not these users need to have like the individual sovereignty and trustlessness, uh, these security aspects of Bitcoin, or whether or not it's good enough for them just to use the lightweight verification and you know use SPV proofs to check that their transaction was included in a block. So are you less concerned with, I guess, the rest of the rules of the network and, and for the average person to be able to participate in that? You're just more concerned in the average person being able to move money around? So my, my number one goal and interest in Bitcoin is to undermine the ability of every single government on the planet to be able to control the money supply and control what people do with their own money. And so the way I see the, the best strategy to achieve that goal is to get as many people around the world to use Bitcoin as quickly as we possibly can. And uh, if you look at the way that's happened, it's been through companies like Coinbase and Blockchain.info. Those are probably uh, the, the, the top two Bitcoin wallets in the entire world. None of the users of Blockchain.info or Coinbase uh, are validating their own transactions. They're all relying on Coinbase and Blockchain.info to do that for them. Um, and I think that's just fine. If you read the original you know, post by Satoshi Nakamoto, the, the idea was that only full nodes, meaning mining nodes, would be the ones that would be required to run all these transactions. And uh, if we get Bitcoin being used by people all over the world in commerce for everything, from from you know shampoo to, to cat food to absolutely everything you can think of, um, if politicians go to try and ban it, it'll be too late. Everybody will say, no, wait a minute, Bitcoin, it's not bad. I, I use it to buy my puppy food. And uh, how, how come the politicians want to make it harder for me to buy, buy my puppy food? So I think it's just fine if we rely on companies like uh, Bit, BitPay, um, BitPay, for example, as well, and Coinbase and Blockchain and, and Bitcoin.com uh, to run full nodes. Uh, I think as long as you have enough full nodes around the world so that it's impossible for governments to shut them down, that's enough. We don't have to have everybody running a full node. And anybody that's interested enough for you know, $2,000 today can buy what was you know, definitely a supercomputer just a few years ago. Uh, so I don't think we're anywhere near being at the price point where people are going to be priced out of being able to run a full node, where we're already at the point where people are being priced out of even being able to transact in Bitcoin. So if we're forced to choose between people being able to afford to run a full node and people uh, being able to afford to use Bitcoin, I would choose the path where people are still able to afford to use Bitcoin and not be able to afford to run a full node rather than the path where people can still afford to run a full node, but they can't afford to use Bitcoin. And uh, that's that's the decision I hear you're being uh, you're presenting me with. And uh, I choose the one in which everybody can afford to use Bitcoin. All right, Roger, your turn to ask a final question. Okay. Well, uh, I guess first, actually, I want to thank Jameson. Like, I've, I've met you in person. You're definitely on the other side of this uh, scaling debate from me, but uh, you've always been very civil and a gentleman and, uh, you know, an all-around civil guy. And I think this debate needs more of that sort of thing and more people like you. So thank you for being such a civil guy. Um, and I suppose my, my, my final question for you is, uh, the title of the Bitcoin white paper is, uh, you know, Bitcoin, a peer to peer electronic cash system. At the moment, Bitcoin is no longer usable as cash. Um, how big of a problem do you see the fact that Bitcoin is no longer usable as cash and the Bitcoin core team are for the most part, openly hostile to even being able to use it as cash. 
Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, there, there's so much vitriol in this space and, and, you know, Roger is even a much bigger public figure than I am, but I've had to deal with my fair share of, of vitriol and, and people just attacking me all the time. So I definitely understand this can be a, a tough space to operate in as a public figure, but, um, yeah, in re- regards to, you know, Bitcoin as a, as a cash system, there, there is no way that I can argue that like there's no problems right now there's obviously a lot of problems a lot of frustration we are not able to onboard users uh, as quickly as we would like to if anything i would say that bitcoin has become popular and mainstream like faster than the technology is really ready for it right now um i i actually would really like to see a kind of cooling off period uh, so that the the industry in general can can regroup and continue innovating because right now a lot of us in the industry are just trying to keep the servers uh, from catching on fire every day. Um, but with regard to the earlier point of you know this trade-off of of being able to transact versus being able to run a full node, I think I have a an interesting perspective because I'm in charge of running all the full nodes at BitGo. And we had this this issue this year with the New York agreement and a lot of companies saying, you know what, we the enterprises are deciding to go in this one specific direction. And I was actually uh, pretty upset about that. Like that is not the vision that I've been wanting to see. And because I was on the inside of one of the prominent companies that was supporting that, it created a lot of conflicts for me. And uh, it's, you know, this situation that I never expected to be in before. But the the whole ecosystem is is so fascinating. And and while it can be, you know, very challenging to to be an outspoken participant in it, I think that these type of debates are are very important just for us to allow the free market to work. And so while there are a lot of times I'll I'll come out and I'll say things that I think are concerning to me about Bitcoin Cash or other scalability stuff. I am not predicting that Bitcoin Cash is going to crash and burn. I actually suspect that it will do all right, at least in the short term. I just have a really, really long-term view on the engineering of these networks. And so at the moment, you know, there's obviously a lot of demand for lower value use cases to, to get onto these networks. Lightning Network is not production ready yet. Um, thus, many users are going to choose a cheaper altcoin to transact on right now. And they may choose Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin Gold or Bitcoin Silver or Litecoin or maybe not Ethereum anymore because it's having issues. But there's a million options out there and the free market is working. And there's always going to be a demand for, for users to externalize their cost of transacting onto the other entities that are running the network infrastructure. So there's a lot of different trade-offs going on and it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how much these folks are going to be willing to pay to keep the Bitcoin Cash network nodes operating if it really gets to the, the level of adoption that they're trying to hit. So, so can I'm, I I'm very clarify my question a, a tiny bit, Jameson? Sure. So I, I guess a, a more clear version of my question is, do you think that the version of Bitcoin described in the Bitcoin white paper, is that Bitcoin Core or is that Bitcoin Cash, which one most closely does, resembles the, the Bitcoin described in the white paper? So, yeah, it's a... That's a tricky question because people are interpreting the Bitcoin white paper in different ways. And Bitcoin has been changing over the years. You know, I have this article I wrote about why nobody understands Bitcoin. And I put a lot of examples in there of things that Satoshi actually realized he got wrong and had to fix. So is Bitcoin Cash like a better version of 
what is described in the Bitcoin white paper. From one perspective, that is absolutely true. Uh, it's just interesting for me to see a lot of people referring back to the white paper as some sort of like founding document that we have to go by. I, you know, I'm taking this from a more engineering, uh, you know, that the system is going to change and going to evolve type of view and saying, you know, we have to keep our minds open and be willing to try things that weren't even mentioned in the white paper. So your your position is if you if you strictly go by what was mentioned in the white paper, Bitcoin Cash more closely resembles what's in the white paper than Bitcoin Core today. I can certainly see that from some interpretations. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Jameson. All right. Now I'm going to actually be democratic here and ask if the two of you feel I mean, maybe you feel completely satisfied with everything, but if you'd like to have each of you two minutes to sum up where you stand, you're free to do that. So, uh, Jameson, would you like to take a couple of minutes? Yeah, so um, you know, I try not to get uh, too dogmatic, uh, like a lot of people do in this debate, and and you know, get really upset about you know what what is happening in the ecosystem. I think that that Bitcoin is undergoing natural growing pains, and it is you know quote unquote failing to scale. But there is a, a great talk actually from uh, Andreas Antonopoulos where he shows that there's a lot of parallels between what's happening in Bitcoin and what happened to the internet itself. And that the internet failed to scale for several decades and it kept running into problems. Engineers looked at those problems, they came up with solutions, and then the internet became more scalable until it hit yet another point at which it failed to scale. And I see Bitcoin as a new type of internet. You know, it's this new economic network where people are, instead of just transferring information, they're transferring uh, monetary value or data that represents monetary value. So I'm sure that Bitcoin is going to continue to continue to surprise us and evolve in ways that we haven't imagined yet. We're continuing to really understand what it is this system is that is built. I would argue that even the the smartest self-professed Bitcoin experts cannot possibly understand every aspect of the system and foresee every potential direction that it may go in. So uh, regardless of what happens, uh, I think that's going to continue to be an extremely exciting space. And I am very happy to continue spending my time and resources trying to make it better. All right, Roger, you have the final word. Great. Thank, uh, thank you, Tom and Jameson, both for participating in this. And uh, I, I feel it was a real productive uh, discussion. People got to hear both sides and both visions. Um, I want Bitcoin to be usable by every single person on the planet. And I think that, that that's more important than every single person being able to, to afford to run a full node. There's no point in running a full node if you can't even afford to use Bitcoin. Um, so you can stop and, and think for yourself. There's two versions of Bitcoin. There's Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Cash is fast, cheap, and reliable. Bitcoin Core is slow, expensive, and unreliable. Maybe someday in the future that'll change with Bitcoin Core, thanks to the Lightning Network. But Lightning Network will work right on top of Bitcoin Cash as well. So, uh, And like any good investor, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, you don't have to be 100% committed to Bitcoin Cash, and you don't have to be 100% committed to Bitcoin Core. But I would invite anybody, you know, go and get uh, the Bitcoin.com wallet supports both versions of Bitcoin. Go and get some of each and then send it back and forth with, you know, your, your spouse or your, your child or whoever and figure out for you which one is more useful in your life and uh, use the one that you find the most useful in your life. Uh, that's the beauty of the free market is everybody gets to have uh, the solution that they want and there's not a one size fits all uh, solution for everybody. So uh, 
try them all out, see which ones you like, uh, and use it and use it to make the world a better place. So thank you guys both. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today. So what I my thanks to Jameson and Roger. I, as I said, I will have their information and links up at tomwoods.com slash 1064. Also, if there's anything you guys would like linked in terms of things you've written, whatever you'd like up there will be up there for people to read and, and decide for themselves. So tomwoods.com slash 1064 will be the smorgasbord of information on this subject. And again, my thanks to you two folks, because I think uh, we did have a fruitful conversation here and no names were called and uh, we all walk away better for it. So thanks so much again. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Remember, only two more episodes of The Tom Woods Show left for 2017 before the brief hiatus until the new year. Uh, those next two episodes will feature, let's just say, a favorite guest of the show. If you have not subscribed on iTunes or Stitcher, you are missing out on your daily dose of liberty education. What a shame. What a terrible shame that is if you haven't done that yet. Make that your New Year's resolution. Head over to TomWoods.com and do that. TomWoods.com slash episodes is where on one page you can look at all 1,064 episodes. You will not believe the array of topics we have covered and how smart you can be just by listening every weekday on your commute. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.